Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here. Today I want to talk to you guys about an article that I wrote um, somewhat recently. It's called, or it's titled, Are Goitrogens Dangerous? How to Protect Your Thyroid Gland. The reason for this article and the reason for this discussion um, is that there's a lot of confusion um, surrounding this topic. Okay, so we'll just, what I'll do is I'll explain it, I'll talk about um, why goitrogens can be, or, or, or I should say, um, in what scenario goitrogens can be dangerous. Um, I'll talk about dietary goitrogens, we'll talk about environmental goitrogens, and we'll just explain it all so it should be a little less confusing for you. Um, so let's jump in here. Uh, the first thing is, what are goitrogens? And I'm just going to talk about the basics here. So uh, you can kind of break down the word. Um, so you probably are familiar with the term goiter. Um, and goiter is a, a condition that can happen to your thyroid gland in which the thyroid just enlarges. Okay, that's essentially the most basic definition of a goiter. So a goitrogen is something that induces the formation of a goiter. Okay, so the, in the most basic sense, that's what it is. So if you're consuming some compound, if you're eating some food and it causes a goiter, that compound is considered to be a goitrogen. It's considered to be goitrogenic to the thyroid. So that's, that's just the, the basic definition. Now, the interesting thing is there are a lot of different goitrogens. Okay, and so th this is why we need to talk about um, this topic. So when, when most people hear the word goitrogen, um, they they often uh, think first of foods, okay? And, and if you didn't know anything about this, well, don't freak out, well, I'll explain it. Um, but w there's there are several food groups that, and these are healthy foods, by the way, that tend to contain compounds that are goitrogenic, okay? So so you can take that, if, if you just heard nothing else and you just walked into this conversation, you would say, you would think to yourself, or you might think to yourself, well, there are healthy foods that cause damage to my thyroid gland. And, and that's why people get confused, because they see these foods and they think, well, if I have thyroid disease, I should probably avoid these, these goitrogenic compounds, right? And it, it, no, probably not is, is the answer to that, and we'll kind of jump in here. So uh, we'll talk about the foods, and we'll talk about some of the other uh, things a little bit later, but that's the reason why many people are confused. So, but, but let's, let's not limit our conversation here just yet. Um, so remember we said that um, goitrogen refers to any compound that induces the formation of a goiter. Now, what's interesting is science doesn't really know what causes or, or, or why people develop goiters. So if you don't exactly know what causes a goiter, then how can you define um, topics that, or how can you define um, different types of um, uh, foods and environmental chemicals and things like that which cause goiter? It becomes difficult because you, you're just labeling things. And that's essentially what a goitrogen is. It's a label. And it's more of a label to define compounds which interfere with thyroid function. Now, this is important because some goitrogens may not actually cause goiter, all right? Um, but they, we do know through some mechanism um, or, or another that they interfere with thyroid function. So perhaps a better definition than the one I gave you initially is to think about a goitrogen as something which is blocking the proper, um, blocking the ability of the thyroid to function properly, okay? Now again, 
there are some foods for sure. I've given you a list here uh, straight out of a study. Um, what I want to show you, show you here is that, yes, foods make this list, um, but medications make this list. Uh, nutrient deficiencies make this list. Um, and environmental compounds make this list. So all of those things would be considered to be goitrogenic. Um, but most people, like I said, they focus on the foods. So you can see here that deficiencies in selenium, iron, or vitamin A, and I would include probably zinc on there, um, they create scenarios in which the thyroid is unable to function at 100%. So you might say, well, um, that's great, but how many people are actually deficient in these things nowadays? The answer is rather surprising, especially considering that most uh, most people, if they follow the standard American diet, are probably not consuming a diet that, that is rich in these type of nutrients. Um, selenium is something that we can't test uh, super easily, but iron certainly is, and then vitamin A, not quite as easy. But um, the point is, whether you realize it or not, you're you're probably at least somewhat deficient. I would say maybe not grossly deficient, but you have a suboptimal level of some of these nutrients, um, depending on how good your diet is. Um, and so the point that I'm trying to make here, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is that for most people, it's probably better to focus on other causes of goitrogens and not the food. And we'll get to that in just a second here, but that's just sort of a primer here. You can read the mechanism by which these things um, interfere with thyroid function if you'd like. Um, I won't get into that right now because you can you can read that pretty easily. Um, what I do want to bring up though is why this becomes a big deal. Um, so you probably have heard, um, if you've read any of the stuff that I put out or if you looked anywhere else, that changing your diet may be one of the, the first and, and um, I would say relatively effective therapies that you can um, undertake to fix your thyroid if you're suffering from Hashimoto's or thyroid disease or some other issue. And that's that's certainly um, correct. Now it's probably not sufficient, but we won't talk about that right now. But, but um, what happens is people will change their diet and then as they sort of get into this world, they'll start reading that really healthy foods are considered to be goitrogenic. And so there's a class or a family of, of healthy foods labeled brassica vegetables, which includes broccoli, cabbage, kale, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, a bunch of different foods. So um, you can see the com you can see where the confusion would arise if I said, um, I, well, I want you to eat healthy because you have thyroid disease, but by the way, you need to make sure that you're you know, not eating too much broccoli and you're avoiding kale and cabbage. And that sounds ridiculous because, it, and it probably is, but I'm just saying this is where some of this confusion comes from. Um, so as a quick primer, if you have thyroid disease, do you need to avoid these? The answer is probably not. And again, we'll get into that in just a minute. And then I go on to say some of these diets, which are frequently recommended for patients with thyroid disease, are often very, very, very high in these specific vegetables. And so I use as an example here, Whole30, and then also the AIP diet. If you haven't heard of those diets, um, they're basically just whole food based diets that contain a lot of vegetables, um, and they reduce a lot of the potentially, um, I would say, uh, food groups, which can um, interact with or that a lot of people just don't react very well to so you can click on some of the links here if you want to get into those um, so let's talk about let's talk about this and put it put it into a little more context so remember I said that the term goitrogen refers to more than just foods and so I would submit to you that perhaps it's better to focus on the avoidance of environmental goitrogens or um, endocrine disrupting chemicals um, and put more attention on the avoidance of those when compared to 
the avoidance of certain dietary goitrogens. So if you're not familiar with, um, remember, let's just go back to our definition for a second. We said that anything that interferes with uh, thyroid function is something that could be considered a goitrogen, okay? And EDCs, if you're, if you're not familiar with these, I'll, we'll talk about them, we'll get into a little more detail here, but EDCs, which stands for endocrine disrupting chemical, um, is exactly how it sounds. So endocrine being the hormones, disrupting meaning causing chaos, and compounds just being molecules. So you can break that down and just think of chemicals that you come into compound with, or chemicals that you come into contact with, which mess around with your hormones. Okay, very simple. Now, how common are these things? Um, and this is this is what's surprising. Um, so you're coming into EDCs um, on a daily basis, no question about it. Um, as an example. Um, think of think of the food that you're consuming today. Is it coming in something that contains plastic? Um, did you drink out of a a water bottle that um, a plastic water bottle? Are you using a reusable uh, plastic water bottle? Did do you have any toys in your house that are made of plastic, which are older than you know 15 years old? Um, you know your kids might have that and, and such, but um, they're, they're still around. Um, these these oh another very common one is touching receipts. Okay. So all of these things you may be either ingesting or absorbing some of it um, through your skin. So that's called transdermal absorption. And um, these chemicals, what they do is um, they look close enough. Well, let's put it this way. The way that hormones work in your body is that they float around in, in the bloodstream. They find a receptor uh, on a cell and they are like the key to that receptor. Okay, so they, they have to look a certain way, they, they latch in there, they clicks and unlocks it, and then it starts a series of events. Now that's what happens normally, but an EDC looks close enough um, like a hormone that it can sit inside the key and jam it, let's say, let's just, we're using this analogy, it just sits in there and jams it and prevents your horm the good hormones in your body that it produces naturally from getting in and turning on the, the hormone receptor. So in this way, it causes a lot of issues. Okay, so you can imagine if you have the key being jammed to your house by some other, you know, kind of similar key, but not the same thing that it actually opens the door, what are you going to do? You're, you're stuck outside. You can't go inside. So that's going to be a problem for you. That's the same thing that's happening with these EDCs. Um, and again, you're coming into contact with them on a daily basis, whether you realize it or not, through some of the stuff that I said before. Um, now, here's where things get a little tricky, though. Um, EDCs are probably not a big issue for everyone. Okay, they're, they're probably just certain people um, that they that tend to be more sensitive to them, um, probably because they have a little bit of harder time metabolizing them in the liver or getting rid of them. Um, some people might have issues in, in storing them if they have a lot of fat cells because these EDCs can, uh, your body doesn't really know what to do with them. And so if it can't eliminate it, what it does is it says, well, if we can't, you know, pee it out or break it down so you can urinate it out or, you know, uh, empty it out in your, your stool, what it can do is it can just sort of trap them away and, and hide them in the fat cells in your body. And so it, it has these mechanisms because it doesn't know necessarily how to get rid of it or it can't for some reason. So it's like, well, let's just hide it away. Um, so that can kind of happen as well in some individuals. So the bottom line is some people tend to be more sensitive to these things um, than other people. And why that is, we're not really sure, um, but but it definitely happens. Um, and so EDCs, you're coming into contact with them daily. They're interfering with your thyroid function. Um, in several studies, including one, I believe it was the from, um, I can't remember, it's a major 
major endocrine association. Uh, but anyway, they came out with a study that showed that what is happening is that EDCs can interfere with the T3 levels that are floating around in your serum, and they do this, but they don't alter your TSH and your free T4. So this can kind of create a scenario which can be confusing for patients, and you don't fit the sort of standard um, hypothyroid lab tests, and it can be confusing and so on. So um, you can read a list of some of these here. So polychlorinated biphenyls, uh, organochlorines, or bisphenol A, that's the thing that's found in a lot of water bottles. So you'll see um, a lot of uh, plastics, things that say BPA-free, so bisphenol A, BPA, that's where that comes from. So things like this. So you can go through this list. They're all over the place. It's probably just best if you can avoid these. And what I say here is instead of hyper-focusing on your diet, it makes a lot more sense to ensure that you're avoiding these chemical goitrogenic environmental uh, toxins, if you will, first. Focus on this, not on your diet, okay? Um, but that's a nice segue into the next section, which is should you avoid goitrogens which come from the diet? The answer is probably not, okay? So in terms of whenever we talk about, whenever we talk about um, some therapy, whether or, or, or something that may be um, uh, potentially harmful to your body, we need to not only talk about how it could be harmful, but to what degree is it harmful, okay? So if there's probably some real effect that's occurring by consuming, you know, large amounts of, of broccoli and, and brassica vegetables and other dietary goitrogens, but what if that percentage of dysfunction is only 1% as a total of 100, right? So it's true that it might be causing some issue, but that issue is going to be drowned out um, by all of the benefits of eating a healthy diet. So uh, in my experience, um, which, which extends for you know, at least over 1,000 patients at this point, is I've never seen anyone do worse eating a healthy diet that contained um, goitrogenic or dietary goitrogens. Uh, I've never seen anyone do that. And I think uh, looking through the literature, literature, I was only able to find one case study which showed that somebody had any sort of noticeable um, decline in thyroid lab studies from from the consumption of dietary goitrogens, and this person was consuming an inordinate, like a, a tremendous amount of, of kale, I believe it was. You know, just you'd have to just be eating it all day, every day, as your only you know uh, source of food, which is just unrealistic. I, I don't think anyone's actually going to achieve that level of consumption. Um, and and so there's that. The second thing, or second, uh, for second, several other things that we should talk about here is even if you were worried, um, you can do some things. Uh, you have a couple options here. So number one is, you can simply reduce the um, amount of goitrogenic foods that you consume each week. So let's just say that you felt like you were somebody who was sensitive to them, and that that you might be. Uh, I'm not saying you you can't be, but I'm just saying it's unlikely. Well then instead of completely avoiding them, just reduce your intake to something like three to six uh, servings per week. Um, you know, don't have them every day, just have them every other day or have them, you know, two or three times a week, something like that. The, the next thing that you could be doing is you could simply just cook or steam your foods prior to consumption. And what this has shown is that um, this process deactivates a lot of the chemicals that are in the food. So again, you still eat the food, just don't, um, just, just don't eat it raw. Um, the next thing is, if, if those two things fail, then your next step would be to ensure that you have adequate selenium, iodine, iron, and vitamin A stores in your body. 
So if you go back to the very beginning, we were saying that the deficiency in these nutrients um, can be goitrogenic themselves. So it may not actually be the foods you're consuming, it may be other things in your body which are stimulating that issue. Which brings me to the next point. So um, what seems to be happening in the body, so there's a lot of confusion about what causes goiters and um, what causes thyroid dysfunction and a number of other things. Now, I don't have a, an exact answer as to why, why everyone has their thyroid disease, even when I you know, get a thorough history in a lot of patients. But I can tell you, and this is um, confirmed in some studies, that there are conditions in the body that, if met, they can exacerbate or make worse any existing thyroid disease. Okay, so, so what do I mean by that? So what I mean is, let's say you have some thyroid disease and you also have um, some nutrient deficiencies such as selenium or iron or vitamin A like we talk about. Now, because those deficiencies are present, you might become sensitive to the consumption of goitrogens. So let's put this into context. So under normal conditions, if you didn't have selenium deficiency, if your iron stores were optimal, you know, assessed by your ferritin, if your vitamin A was fine, you could probably withstand some, um, some amount of, of dietary goitrogens and um, environmental goitrogens like we talked about before. But in the setting of these deficiencies, everything is going to be made worse. So it exacerbates that deficiency. So it may, it may just be that the studies which show that there's um, a problem uh, with, with, the, with foods, with these dietary goitrogens, it may be that there's just a lot of people that have these deficiencies. So it's hard to say what is actually happening. But if you, and, and I recommend this to all patients who have thyroid disease, take a very close look at some of those basic nutrients that are required for thyroid function. You'd be surprised at how many people can achieve normalcy or at least significant improvement in their thyroid simply with the supplementation of selenium, iron, you know, vitamin A, some of these basic nutrients for the thyroid. It may not be that you actually have a thyroid disease. It may be that you just have a nutrient deficiency. Um, so it is worth assessing that. Now, that doesn't apply to everyone, uh, for instance, ha patients with Hashimoto's, um, you know, but it, it's certainly worth um, considering. Now, how do you go about this? Um, how do you go about assessing for these nutrient deficiencies? Well, some are easier, easier to assess than others, um, but in most cases, it's, it's um, well, I'd say with the exception of iron, you really don't want to take too much iron because you can risk taking too much, but some of the other water-soluble vitamins, such as uh, B vitamins and such, any excess, there's not really a, a high risk of toxicity because your body will just simply urinate them out. Now, vitamin A is one of the fat-soluble vitamins, so um, there is a risk of becoming toxic on vitamin A, but again, you'd have to just consume so much that um, it would just be, uh, you know, the bottles will tell you how much to take, and so if you'd have to take, you know, something like 10 or 15 or 20 times that amount to get toxic. And so, you know, you'd be going through a bottle every, whatever, let's say three days. I mean, that's just not realistic. Most people aren't going to do that. So anyway, um, bottom line, if you feel like you're sensitive to dietary goitrogens or, or environmental goitrogens, then assess those nutrients. Um, I would say it's probably easy to just, um, easy and effective and relatively cheap to just take a thyroid supplement for a couple months um, and see if you find any improvement um, and then kind of base uh, where you go from there. Now, there are other things that can be goitrogenic as well. So there's a couple of things that I want to mention here that are worth also considering um, if you have thyroid disease. So these are these are medications and, and other food groups um, and just conditions that can cause further thyroid disease. So if you have thyroid disease, Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, if your thyroid's been removed or, or any, any reason which leaves you on thyroid medication, then make sure you're assessing these other things as well. Um, so one of the, well, we'll talk about these, but 
it's not likely that you're on them. So one is amiodarone, which is a, a medication um, usually used for heart conditions. You know if you're on it. The point is amiodarone can cause thyroid disease. We won't talk much about that. Now lithium, that's a different story. So lithium is a medication often used to treat bipolar disorder or mood disorders. And long-term use of lithium can cause thyroid dysfunction as well. So um, again, if you're, if you're on it, you'll know it. Uh, now the good news is um, if you're on it and it's causing issues, there are other medications that you can take in its place. So, you, you know, you want to try and play around with that. Um, but don't just stop taking your medication, especially if you're using it for a heart, heart um, disorder or um, a disorder of the mood or something like that. Um, the next topic, which is fairly common, is uh, the consumption of soy or soy-enriched foods. So these type of foods can interfere with T4 absorption, um, and then they also interfere with thyroid hormone at the cellular level, the function. So soy is not something that's frequently talked about, but it may be worth eliminating soy before you start eliminating things like broccoli and, and uh, cabbage and, and things like that. Uh, the next thing is excessive iodine intake. So there seem to be some people who are genetically susceptible to triggering of autoimmune disease such as Hashimoto's with the intake of excessive iodine. Now, I'm not going to get into that topic here, but it seems like these people tend to be sensitive if they all, if they, well, under two conditions. Number one, they have to take excessive iodine uh, by mouth. And number two, th they kind of also have to be deficient in some of these other things like selenium and, and, and uh, other nutrients that we talked about before. And those two conditions, if met, may be the reason that some people develop Hashimoto's with excessive iodine intake. Now, but just in general, taking high doses of iodine may can block, I don't want to say block because it's more of like a physiologic uh, mechanism by which your body reduces the uptake of iodine into the thyroid gland. It's a normal thing um, because it's meant to protect your body. But taking high amounts of iodine can trigger this sort of thing and, and may cause some, some changes to your labs. Now, the thing is, is Usually it goes away um, because, you know, once you stop taking the excessive iodine, so it's not like a permanent thing by any means, but it may be worth looking into, especially if you're somebody taking, you know, 12.5 milligrams of iodine to 25 milligrams of iodine every single day. Um, most iodine comes in micrograms. The, the, the average daily recommended amount is somewhere between 150 and 170 micrograms, not milligrams. Um, so 1,000 micrograms is one milligram. So if you're taking 25 milligrams, that's thousands of uh, micrograms, so it's completely different there. Um, another thing is excessive dieting and other diets. So um, altering the amount of protein consumption and the amount of fat consumption can actually alter T3 and T4 levels. That's been shown in several studies. But also just um, excessive dieting can trigger that, so, um, that starvation response, which increases reverse T3, drops uh, free T3, and it can blunt thyroid function by itself. So this is another thing. And I would say this is probably far more common than most people realize. Um, and then another kind of interesting one is excessively high doses of green tea. This is usually the, uh, the extract, which are uh, um, catechins, which are found in weight loss supplements. So you, you kind of have to be consuming a very large amount of these things. But as long as you're sort of avoiding gimmicky weight loss, uh, pills, this probably isn't a, isn't an issue for you, but but it's worth knowing, right? Because it's it's a tempting, it's going to be tempting at some point in your life if you suffer from thyroid disease and you suffer from obesity, because that's a very difficult it's very difficult to lose weight if you have thyroid disease. Um, it may be tempting at some point to try and take some weight loss supplements, but avoid them; they're not going to work. Um, there's much better ways to lose weight if you have thyroid disease. So, um, anyway, that's sort of that's sort of the idea here. 
Um, I think the bottom line is for the vast majority of people, dietary goitrogens, they're just not going to play a significant role in your thyroid function. And I would argue that the benefit of consuming healthy foods such as cabbage and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and so on outweighs any, any potential negative um, uh, side effect of the consumption of dietary goitrogens. It's probably just not a big deal. If, if you do feel like it's, it's an issue for you, then simply steam your food before you consume it. Um, and limit the, the intake. Don't completely avoid them. Just limit it and steam it before. That should be sufficient. And if you're really not convinced, and you should do this anyway, well then assess your nutrients. Look at selenium, zinc, vitamin A, iodine, and take a thy thyroid supplement which contains all these. So I have some supplements, but there's others out there too. Um, just make sure you're getting high quality supplements because um, that, that will give you the best results. So anyway, it's pretty straightforward. And then I would say while you do this, also avoid environmental um, goitrogens. So avoid those EDCs we talked about. Drink out of glass. Um, heat food in a glass container. Don't heat it in plastics. Avoid touching receipts. Have your have the uh, cashier email your receipt. Basic things like this. I mean, it's uh, drink filtered water. Um, this will help reduce the the contact that your body comes into with these chemicals on a daily basis. Um, you don't have to get super fancy here. It's just these simple things can add up. Um, and and you'd be surprised. So um, anyway, that that's that's kind of what I wanted to say about goitrogens. Um, Going back to the beginning, if you guys have any questions, um, please leave them below. I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, especially if you're somebody that has had trouble with dietary goitrogens, or at least you felt you have. Um, please leave a comment below. If you have any other questions, do that as well. Um, but otherwise, I hope this, guys, hope this was helpful for you guys. We'll see you in the next one.